Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is going to be fun. Greg Ducharme is here. Greg, what's going on? What's going on, boys? Um, I hope everybody's having a nice Memorial Day weekend. Crazy tournament that was. I mean, again, it reminded me very much of the PGA Championship. It was a little slow, you know, a little sluggish, not a lot of birdies being made, and then all of a sudden, fireworks in the playoff. I'm not even sure where to start here. Kyle Porter, uh, KP, if I told you there were five guys tied for the lead playing the 10th hole or later in the round, and none of them, none of them were going to win the golf tournament, that would have probably been a pretty shocking thing to hear. I mean, I, I watched I, I, I watched the whole thing, and it was shocking. I mean, it, it, you don't even have to set up the hypothetical. It, it was like, okay, well, I think – like the thing I was thinking throughout was I, I think Scheffler's going to win, but if he doesn't, then it's going to be Varner or Stallings or, you know, so, somebody that's kind of around him. I, I didn't think I, I, I think the first time I thought Burns could actually win was when Scheffler got to like 16. I was like, oh, Scheffler's going to have to kind of hustle to get into the playoff. At one point, Burns had more strokes gained than Scheffler because the holes that Scheffler had left were hard like we're playing over par so he had to like play better than the field to to just to get into the playoff it was it was kind of unbelievable and i think there are a lot of implications which i'm sure we'll talk about for both burns and scheffler uh going forward for this season and we are uh sam burns our champion of the charles schwab challenge his third victory now of the season gents but uh, it doesn't really do it credit let's try to play this out a little bit here. Uh, Sam Burns posts nine under Greg at 347 Central. So it is now like 619 Central. So you're talking about what, an hour and a half between the time he taps in on 18 until he has to even go to a playoff with Scotty Scheffler. And I was looking, I was looking at the leaderboard thinking, oh man, I hope he hasn't left. I hope he hasn't like left the premises because with five guys already ahead of you, uh, that could have been one of those turn the turn the jet around situations. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, you could see the golf course starting to get really firm. You knew the wind was picking up. And I mean, you sent out a, a nice tweet on it, Rick, how difficult the remaining holes were and, and how they were all playing over par. So I think I thought he had a chance a little earlier when when he hit his putt on 18. I thought if he got to 10, he would have a real chance at a playoff. And when he missed I kind of thought the chance subsided and then it just started to keep, it started looking better and better and better. Um, so it was, it was very surprising, but in a way you could see it coming. Um, and I was thinking back to our conversation we had last year about posting, how it just doesn't happen very often. And now we have two weeks in a row with now, now it all the time. You know, seven stroke comeback. Yeah. It's a, it's a regular occurrence now, but it, it seems to happen more when golf courses get more difficult. And the last par five on the golf course is, Number eleven, so you don't really have that um, that you know easy birdie coming in, and and I think that really contributed as well. Well, two, real quick, two things. One, it literally happens like once every. I mean, Justin Wright tweeted the stat. It hadn't back to back guys coming from seven down to win hasn't happened in ten years. Rick, is that right? Twenty. Yeah, and one of them was the act of God at Torrey Pines that allowed Snedeker to come back and win, right, and then the following right. one was the next week at. Uh, at Phoenix, that was the Kyle Stanley week. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but then the other thing, and, and this is this is what I'm not totally sure on. It felt like, I don't want to take anything away from Burns. He was really good. He shot 65 on Sunday. But it felt like he kind of squeezed in before the wind started really whipping. And, and I mean, you can't blame the wind for Harold Varner shooting 45 on the back. Like, you can't shoot 45, right? But... 
there there was a little bit of like he he finished so far ahead that it that it was a little bit of a freak can it seemed like a little bit of a freak conditions thing now i wasn't out there i don't know like what that was like compared to when burns was playing or whatever but it did seem like that contributed at least a little bit i mean guys were missing putts by like two feet and and some of that's nerves but some of that's got to be like factoring in the wind and gusting and and all that stuff so i don't know i think that's worth mentioning as it relates to the way that that uh that sam burns won yeah it was a sunday 65 that's five under to get into the playoff and he did exactly what he did at valspar right greg he hooped one from like 35 feet just off the green and the first playoff hole that was to beat davis riley this time to beat scotty scheffler yes uh, he definitely has a clutch gene in him and what's really cool about Sam Burns, and it's kind of unique. Uh, he's now got three wins for the year, but you can see it in what he does statistically. And and some of these stats will change overnight when when um, this week is factored in. But he's a he's a great putter and has been through his whole career. He's twenty fifth this year in strokes gained putting. He hits it a long way. Um, and and at the same and and he's a, become a really really solid iron player. So this week the key was uh, putting for him. He was sixth in the field in strokes game putting and, and making a clutch putt like that. It, it just, it highlights it. It adds to the, uh, the statistical evidence we have of him being a great putter. It, it, um, it, it really assures him in, and I'm sure it gives him a ton of confidence. Was he trying to make that putt on 18? I'm sure he hoped it went in, but it's not one you're licking your chops on here. You're trying to get the speed, right? You know, that's when you're trying to get the speed right in and make sure that, you know, you give it a, you, you have an easy par there. And it looked like we were going to have another play, another playoff hole for sure. But, um, but there we go. Here we go again. The, the thing that I love about Burns and I like this actually about Scheffler too, it's kind of coincidental that they're in the playoff together is he seems like somebody who just loves to compete. And I think that, I think some people listening or watching might think like, well, yeah, of course he's a professional athlete, but in golf, I think it's rarer than most fans would assume that guys like love to just like compete and uh, like love leading and and like trying to win. That sounds like a that sounds dumb to say that out loud. It sounds ridiculous, but I really think it is. I think a lot of guys like play golf and try to if they finish in the top ten, like they play golf for money, and if they finish in the top ten and make money, like great. But they're not they don't like love to compete. And that's probably true. Like that happens in basketball, right? You get like guys that are seven foot and they play basketball because they're seven foot and they don't really care. And they don't like, they don't love competing and Burns and Scheffler both love competing. Like they love it. They, they want to just destroy you. And that's fun. And J- we saw that we see that with JT all the time. Like the speed is like that. That's, that's awesome. And I, I think it's not as common as most people would presume. And I think we saw it play out a little bit in, in, in kind of the end there and, and especially in the playoff. Yeah, we can listen yeah, um, to a, a larger conversation, Greg, about Scotty Scheffler as well and circle back on, on Sam Burns because these guys now have accounted for seven wins this season together. <laughs> right, which is, which is really cool. I mean, yesterday we were talking a little about the player of the year race. And now with Sam Burns, I mean, we thought Scotty was going to get to five wins, right? We and and now all of a sudden Sam Burns has three, and Scotty has four. What does a major championship do for Sam Burns if he wins one of the next two? I mean, it completely changes the conversation. So the fact that somebody else won here that wasn't Scotty Scheffler, and they also happen to have two wins coming in, it really made that a lot more interesting. Um, but uh, to Kyle's point on on the competition. You see it when guys struggle down the stretch. They we call it wanting the ball or not wanting the ball. And both Scotty and Sam, they want that moment. They want the opportunity where all the pressure in the world is on them. And it's a, it's a very different than competing in a match play situation or competing uh, competing in a four ball at your home club for one round. Right. This is when all the chips are on the table. And both of these guys they perform well. Uh, they don't seem to hide from that moment or run from that moment. If it was a team sport, they would be, you know, the point guard who wants the ball. They wouldn't be the the guy who wants to set the screen. And there are players, there are professional athletes, to your point, Kyle, who would rather set the screen or would rather be a decoy. They don't want to take the shot. 
Um, I mean, that was debated about LeBron James for, uh, it probably still is uh, for most of his career. You know, does he want to take the last shot or not? And in, and these two guys, they want to take the last shot, which is really cool to watch. Yeah. Uh, Scotty Scheffler was looking to capture his fifth victory, and he was looking to do it before we turned the calendar to June. He does not make a bury in his final round. He shoots a two over 72 KP that had two bogeys and 16 pars, uh, including a couple of savvy pars coming down the stretch to even get himself into the playoff. But you're right. It was kind of just uh, survival towards the end there and see what see what you can make out of this. Well, I I don't know what his uh, he finished the day. Maybe you can help me with this. He finished the day 59th and strokes gain putting. And he needed two putts at the end that were even three over the last, what was that? Four or five holes Mm -hmm. that were kind of like, uh, so let's see here on, on 17, he had eight and a half feet on 18. He had six feet. Yeah. And he kind of, he kind of saved, saved his strokes game putting round at the end. Uh, with a couple of putts, he just he couldn't he couldn't make anything. I mean, he had some just truly bad putts on Sunday, and it didn't. You know, it, it was weird because Sunday f- felt a little bit like uh, s- Saturday kind of started that way, also, or it was just flat. He doesn't birdie the first, and then he kind of got going on the second nine, where he makes three birdies on, on the second nine on Saturday. That just didn't happen on on Sunday, and I think. Again, a lot of that is conditions, is weather. But I, I think if you told Scotty Scheffler on Saturday night, hey, you have to make one birdie. If you make one birdie on Sunday, you win. He'd be like, well, I'm going to win. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. there's, there's not a scenario in which he would have said, well, that could be tough. Like, he would have guaranteed you. I mean, uh, somebody had it. might have been Justin Ray. He hadn't had a round without a birdie since, like, the 2019 U.S. Open. Wow. wow. That's like, well, you also, I mean, you think about it, you have uh, the opening hole, which, you know, he played one under for the week. It, it played to a, a stroke average today of 4.5. Yeah. Right. I mean, that that's a, yeah, you should make birdie there. He plays that whole one under and you start picking away at it. And I mean, that's the first place that I would look. But uh, I, I mean, bigger picture, his last nine starts, he has uh, four runner ups and. In a in a second, so I I mean this with with great um, admiration, and this is a compliment, Greg. That that's the worst I've ever seen Scotty Scheffler play. <laughs> and he almost won the thing. He almost won. He was in a playoff. I know, but this yeah. is the worst I've seen well, him play. Like he, I mean, you might maybe maybe last week at the PGA, you weren't watching as closely as I was. Um, but last week was definitely worse than <laughs> worse than this Sunday. A lot of a lot of lackluster pitches and chips. He didn't putt particularly. He did make a couple to get himself into a playoff, but that is a testament to how good he is. Yeah, that he's able to keep himself in it and give himself a chance because he didn't have the good stuff. No, not at all. And again, Kyle made the point about what he did coming down the stretch to save the not only his strokes game putting number, but his chance in the tournament. The other one was the nine footer on fifteen. Yeah, that's which what is right. It, that's coming off of a he had forty. He had a little outside of 40 feet for his first putt. Hits it nine feet by. And that's where, you know, the focus maybe comes into question. The grind of the day, the difficulty of of the day starts coming in. It's like what we saw with Tiger in the Masters, where all of a sudden the lag putting just leaves and the the putting performance gets so sloppy. But Scotty was able to hang in there and make those putts where you could easily wither away. Um, and, and he gave himself a chance coming all the way down the stretch. But, um, yeah, it was you. You think about the second shot into eighteen into the bunker. Um, you'd lo- you'd love to see him give himself a a putt to win that tournament. Who knows if he's able to hit that on the green? Um, so yeah, there are moments throughout the day where it, it felt like he just came up a little short, but at the same time he he did fight really hard. Well, and I think this week bigger picture made me even just sort of it crystallized for me how just how good his season has been, right? Because. Again, it it everything just happened in such a in such an acute period of time that it's hard to sometimes process or internalize that. But to be, I think there's been uh, six guys since Tom Watson did it in 1980. So since 1981, which is longer than I've been alive, 
there's been six guys that have won five or more times in a season. Uh, Nick Price did it in 1994. Jason Day and Spieth did it in 2015. Justin Thomas did it in 2017. VJ Singh did it in 2004. And then Tiger did it 10 times, which is... Oh, is that all? Which is hilarious. <laughs> Scheffler has a, a real chance to to put his name on that list. And he had a chance this week to be, become the first guy since Watson in 1980 to do it before uh, June 1st. And people were like, well, the PGA Tour schedule is longer. And it is. But he didn't start winning until February 13th, right? And so, yeah, here's here's the tweet that I that I put out there. So, I just I don't know. I he's going to set the all time money list record for a single year. Uh, he's already within I think a million uh, of of Jordan Spieth's 2014 2015. It, it, it's he's really put himself into a position where now we kind of we have expectations of him. Like Greg was saying, you have expectations of somebody like a John Rahm or a uh, Justin Thomas, when they get to number one in the world, you expect them to win rather than uh, before they've ever won, kind of expecting them maybe to fade away or come up a little short or whatever. Now now I'm surprised when Scheffler does shoot 72 or doesn't close it out. Um, and that's just the reality of professional golf. That's going to happen. But I think it is a testament to what he's done this year that that is sort of like the reaction is surprise whenever he doesn't get up and down doesn't go shoot 70 to win the golf tournament by two strokes. Uh, and I'll, I'll be very curious to see. Sorry, Rick. Sorry. But I'll be, I'll be um, very curious to see how he hangs on to it. And it seems like it's been a pretty good run holding on to world number one, right? With the master's victory and now this tournament, but he really hasn't played a, a lot of significant events since becoming world number one um, and winning the masters. And those two things can really change a player's career. And, you know, I heard, um, a, a cup, an interesting quote about this. And a lot of guys have gotten to world number one and they don't, they didn't like the view. It's not really for everybody. And when you see John Rom get into that position and start to struggle a little bit, um, I'm very curious to see how, how Scotty Scheffler handles it going forward. I mean, it, obviously when you reach world number one, you expect that player to continue in that run. You, you expect them to continue because they got there for a reason. But once you get there, how, how you handle it is a completely different scenario. Uh, and there are a lot of heavy hitters, um, you know, vying for that spot. February 13th was only 105 days ago. 105 days ago I, is Scotty started all this. I got a question for you guys, and maybe maybe specifically you, Rick, because Greg and I have talked a lot. Who, who do you think is the most underrated player in the world right now? The first name that popped into my brain was Max Homa, but that okay. is just first name that popped into my head um let me look at the owgr list so i can get some names going here i would say the most underrated player in the world is i don't mind max homa i don't mind that uh it could be hideki hmm. that's that hideki is re a really good one not I out of bad one <laughs> he's on the list for sure uh, <laughs> talk yeah. about him. we we he is uh, overrated you know we don't he doesn't fly under the radar on this show no no yeah you're right he's he's definitely overrated that's a good point rick <laughs> um we talk about it way too much uh but i think sam burns could be on that list now look this win probably changes that and he pops into everybody's mind so He's probably up. To, Hideki, you know, Hideki checks all the boxes to me. His contention in majors has been there. Uh, he's performed really well in big events, continues to do so. And and kind of that, um, the, the putting attribute that he struggles with seems to hold him back in a lot of people's minds. But I, I think he's probably the guy. It's probably Hideki Matsuyama. I think the reason I ask is because I think Burns and Scheffler are both probably up there. I know Scheffler's ranked number one in the world, but I think he's still a little underrated just because, uh, like the reg the, the regular golf fan might still not understand like the kind of season that he's having. It's an all time season. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Cam Smith's probably up there for me, number three player in the world. Won the play. I mean, he's he's Cam Smith is really good now. 
he relies on his putter a little bit more than I would prefer, right? Um, so I think that might be a little bit of a, of a I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting question. Shane Lowry's probably up there. He's had a great year. Um, I, I thought, I thought um, <clears throat> what about Patrick Cantlay? A lot of people take like don't give him credit for the Memorial win, nor for then in turn basically the FedEx Cup. And because he hasn't had success at majors, like if you just ask people who are the top five players in the world or top 10 players in the world, I think Patrick Cantlay would be in a small percentage of those lists or maybe a smaller percentage of those lists than he should be. It would be fascinating to ask random people who the like not random people, but random golf fans who the top 10 players in the world are to see how many they can get. I bet most people could only get like four or five or, or oh, it's, yeah. I, I don't even care if it's correct what their perceived top 10 players in the world are, because right, right. that's even more important because you might not get anybody who says uh, Sam Burns or whatever. Right. But like that would be the difference. If somebody thinks that Brooks Kepka. It, or if 100% of people think Brooks Kepka is a top 10 player in the world when he's not, but uh, 0% think Patrick Cantlay is outside the top 10 when he isn't. Like, that's the fascinating stuff, what their perception is. Yeah. Like, you know, Dustin Johnson would be in there, right? And he's, yeah, he's 13th. He would definitely be on that perception list. Right, Tiger. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Depending right. on who you miss, you get a lot of Tigers. For sure. If you just went around like a, you go to the Charles Schwab challenge and just ask fans who the top 10 players are, it could be, that'd be an, an entertaining bit. I, I do. It would be, it would, it would be awesome. I do think <laughs> there's a big, like for whatever reason, there's a, there's a difference to me in like Burns and Homa being underrated. And then somebody like Scheffler being underrated because Burns and Homa have the same problem. And there's other guys that are in this category. Maybe somebody like a Matt Fitzpatrick. They just, they haven't been successful at major championships. Now Burns hasn't had that many opportunities. Um, Homa's had more. Fitzpatrick has had more, but like you have to, you have to be able to play major championship golf and somebody like Scheffler who obviously missed the cut at the PGA, but he had what seven straight top twenties before that, or eight straight top twenties with, I think it was seven straight top 20s, five top 10s, and a win. And I just, like, to me, there's a there's a gap there between, like, can you play major championship golf and can you not versus, like, okay, you won Colonial. It's a great win. It's really good. But it, if it doesn't translate to major championship golf, then I, I just, I, I have a hard time making that leap with you to say you're one of the, the best players in the world, despite what the OWGR says. And that's the Cantlay thing. That's exactly sure, the Patrick Cantlay sure. thing, right? We love he he can go on a run, he can get really hot, he can win and contend. But when he shows up for a major, and you're the everyday golf fan, and you have your pool set up, and you put Cantlay in there, and he lets you down, it really hurts the perception. Um, and it does for us too. We you know we're we're looking for him to take the next step, and he hasn't taken that step yet. Uh, where you know, Scotty Scheffler obviously has taken that step. Cam Smith has taken that step, even though he hasn't won a major yet. Um, you know, Morikawa has taken that step. And there are a lot of guys who haven't. When you lose people, your pool, their pools, it's uh, bad for the brand. I've heard. Yeah. So yeah. Very. Get that rectified for old Patty. It's, Ice. it's worse than anything else. <laughs> uh s- Sam Burns wins for the fourth time in 28. Starts friend of the pod, by the way. So hat tip to you, uh, Sam Burns. Also, Scotty Scheffler, Sam Burns, now number one and number two in the FedEx Cup standings. Gents, that's not really the whole story because there were a lot of other guys in the mix and we got to kind of talk about it. We're going to do that. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. And we're back. Scotty Scheffler, Harold Varner III, Davis Riley, Scott Stallings, friend of the pod, and Brendan Todd were all 10 under par with eight or less, eight or fewer holes to play. The winning score was nine under. That got you into a playoff. Let's unfortunately start with Harold Varner III, uh, who Kyle stood in 12's fairway. With wedge in hand, 125 yards away at 10 under par, tied for the lead. Things did not go well after that moment. He missed the playoff by nine. 
he went. How's that? How how does that happen? Trip. Well, I'll tell you. He went triple, double, triple from 12, 13, 14. Then he made a birdie. Then he made a birdie. Nice little bounce back. Par 16, double 17, bogeys 18, shoots a 10 over 45 coming in. You had a great tweet. Uh, Usually, when somebody wearing Air Jordans make uh, has a triple double, it's a good thing. Uh, this was this was not a good thing. I I just I have a hard time with Harold Varner. Um, one, I don't love watching the swing, uh, but it obviously works for him. I mean, he, he's he's a good, solid player. I saw a stat. I think he was on. Uh, I think he was on the broadcast yesterday where he's made the playoffs every. Every year he's been on tour. I think seven straight years. That's interesting. That's the sign of a of a just a quality professional golfer, right? Where you're you're just constantly top one twenty five, top one twenty five. But man, I just I can't get over the fact that he seems. We've talked about this a lot with him. He seems to kind of not enjoy being in the lead or being near the lead. You know, I, I go back to. 2019 at Bethpage, he's playing with Brooks and just completely ejects, shoots whatever, 80, 81 on Sunday there. I I, I don't want that to be true because I think he's uh, a fairly interesting person to talk to and um, he, he seems like he, he, he seems like somebody that would be a, a good champion just to I don't know. Like he, he seems like he'd be a great champion on the PGA tour. And, but it's true. Like he just, he just ejects from these leads over and over and over again. And that's a, that's a problem. I don't know if it's a mental problem. I don't know if it's a physiological problem. I don't know what it is, but he's got to figure that out before, uh, before he gets it done on the, on the PGA tour. By all accounts, HV3 is an awesome guy who statistically, Greg, is inside the top 50 of strokes gained, both T to green and total. He's got the game to compete. As Kyle mentioned, I just and I just confirmed it seven straight years. Every year he's been on, on the tour, he's made the playoffs. The game is there. But when he gets in contention, it he just he not only plays poorly, it's like a pure ejection. He finished T27. He finished T27. It was Riviera. It was it was Bethpage. Uh, it was I think it was here last year. It was here this year. Maybe it was in 2020. Uh, if you remember when he actually won on the Asian tour, he tried to give it away on like 14 and 15 of that event and, and makes a bomb on 18 to win it. I mean, it is unfortunately a disturbing trend. Yeah, I think he made double um, on, on the Asian tour. I think he made double in uh, on like 16. So right, it's been it's been a very similar story. And when I look at HV3's numbers, I I think there's kind of this glaring weakness. And this is the area that leads to big numbers. It's what you do off the tee. And he is long enough, um, but not long enough to drive it into 55 percent of the fairways. Right. He he hits 55 percent of the fairways. It's 167th on tour. And when, when that's your weakness, errancy off the tee, well, now you bring out of bounds into play. You bring big penalty numbers into play and it can, it can rattle you. It can really throw you off. Um, he's not the best putter in the world. So when you kind of put the recipe together and you have some guys like a Jordan Spieth, who is not very accurate off the tee, but a great escape artist and his short game answers the call and his putting, I mean, as long as it's not too close to the hole, his putting answers the answers the bell, right? He scrambles. Justin Thomas is inaccurate, but he scrambles like crazy. But with, with HV3, it seems like the misses are just much more errant and they seem to go into the bad places and they go out of bounds and they he hits he tops them and they go to the lip of the bunker. So maybe some of that's fortune, but I, I think he's got to figure out um uh, you know a go-to shot off the tee. When Patrick Reed wins the Masters, he has that helicopter finish fade. And all that is is get the ball and play off the tee. Tiger has his stinger. Um, there are other players with with similar shots that are go-to shots. And and this would be the biggest area of concern for me with HB3 is errancy off the tee. And if he can get it, get the ball in play, then I, I think I think he will figure out how to handle it the rest of the way in. Um, but that's where it really all started today was um 
by, you know, I guess it was a bad bunker shot today at 12, um, but he did hit it out of bounds at 14 as well. Uh, I've got a stat here to kind of back up what I was saying. It's on data golf. It's their, their pressure tool. So this is final round performances for the last eight years. Uh, when he enters the final round outside the top five, he gains negative 0.1 stroke. So he's essentially just an average PGA tour player, right? You're just, you just play at field average, which makes sense. Like that's, that's kind of what he is having made the, the, um, the FedEx cup seven straight years. When he enters the final round inside the top five, his true strokes gained is minus 1.5. And so that's actually even worse than it looks like because that's in scenarios where you're, you're playing well for the week. So you kind of like have your good stuff, right? So his, uh, his expected, uh, strokes gained is, is the same. It's negative this, uh, excuse me, versus his expected. He's, he's minus 1.5 in the final round also, uh, or actually minus 1.54. So it's a little bit worse than it actually, the true strokes gain looks like. So, uh, not great. And then one of those was, uh, excuse me, that's happened like, looks like 20 times. And in 18 of those times, he's gone down on the leaderboard. So he's he's gone from, let's say, like fourth to ninth, or he'd enter the final round first and drop to fourth. Um, so it's clearly a problem. And it's a bummer because, like I said, he would he would be, a, uh, I think, a, a very popular and interesting champion on the PGA Tour. Uh, and Greg is right. That, that win on the Asian Tour, he doubled 14 and made bogey on – 16 so he was in the mm. process of of coughing it up as well which right. you, you contrast that with davis riley greg who things got spinning very quickly for davis riley when he missed a short putt at 13 to make bogey and then he just whips one ob immediately at 14 and makes a double there he was at least still able to kind of right the ship pars at 15 16 and 18 gave up one more at 17 but finishes t4 actually moves up the leaderboard on the day yeah um this was a great round and 14 got jordan spieth a couple of years ago too he hit it out of bounds there um when he was you know it was kind of a fake comeback but we thought jordan was uh, on the comeback trail i think he ended up finishing tied 10th but it, it was when he was struggling with that shot way out to the right so look out of bounds comes into play there um, quite clearly and it was disappointing but when you see the the short miss after a great a great bunker shot at 13 i mean that was so good it's such a hard shot water on the other side downhill long bunker shot firm greens can't really spin it he trundles it all the way down there um and and it was he had he had the solo lead right he was at 11 under yeah he got and, to 11, yeah. and then it just it got away from him and he got frustrated but all in all, it's another great performance for him. So I, I think you look at just a very singular moment, and I would look to the short putt for Davis Riley before the tee shot out of bounds at 14, and those two were probably connected for sure. What do you think uh, Davis Riley's ceiling is, Greg? Um, I, you know, we got to see him in contention, in real contention a little more, because if he can start closing the deal, Right. And, and he can win tournaments. It's really high. I think his game is very strong through the bag. Um, and, you know, you think about the pedigree he comes from Alabama where a, a Justin Thomas is. And th is his skill set that far behind a Justin Thomas? It uh, obviously looks like it now. He hasn't put together anywhere near the body of work of a Justin Thomas, but he hasn't had the time to yet. So I, I think his upside's quite high. Um, but it, but it's really hard to put a number of wins on it when you haven't seen him under the gun um, a whole lot. You know, we've seen him kind of sneak into the backdoor finishes. This is the first time where he touches the lead and it gets away from him. So if if he learns from this and flips a switch and starts winning, then I mean, he he has all the ability in the world. There's there's nothing that really holds him back in his game. So his last what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, eight starts. Going back to Valspar, second at Valspar, lost in the playoff. T63 at Texas Open, miscut at Heritage, T4 at Zurich. Who was he with? Salatores. Yeah. That's right. Uh, fifth at the Mexico Open, T9 at Byron Nelson, T13 at the PGA. Kind of a quiet T13. And then what did he finish here? Like T7, T8, 
four. No, T four. Yeah. So that's a run of uh, one, two, three, four, six top fifteens in his last eight starts, including a major. That's that that it seems meaningful. It is. It, I think it is meaningful. Uh, and again, I mentioned the the connection with um, with Justin Thomas, and I think there's really something. He looks at what JT does and says, "Hey, I I think I have this kind of game." But again, those in these in these finishes. What has he done on 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 Sunday? It has been some some good. I guess Valspar was seventy two, so he shot sixty two Saturday at the Valspar. Got in contention, ends up in a playoff, gets gets burned. Um, sixty four, sixty six over the weekend at Zurich a team event, sixty seven, sixty eight over the weekend in Mexico. It was solid, but again, he's not really like your he he's not your leader yet today he touches the lead and it gets away from him. And that's what I think we really have to see to understand what he does when he's touching it. Cause he can clearly go, he can, he can very clearly go and, and shoot some really good numbers. Uh, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead here. Cause I got a couple more minutes with Kyle and I want to get your thoughts on uh, Jordan Spieth who finished T seven back-to-back seventies on the weekend. Uh, the stats will show KP that he was about field average with the putter this week, but there were still uh, plenty of misses. And even here on Sunday from short range that he will be ruining. Yeah. Do, do your, do your numbers, Greg, Greg did research on this. Yeah. yeah seven it, this week. It was seven putts inside of six feet that he missed three on Sunday. And look, this has been a, um, a recurring theme from three feet this year. He, it's the worst he's ever been in his career from four feet. It's the worst he's ever been in his, I'm sorry, four feet, second worst he's ever been in, in his career, five feet, worst he's ever been in his career, four to eight feet, worst he's ever been in his career. And now these are not areas of strength in the past, even in 2015, where you may think, you know, he was great. And it, that range is still a little shaky for him, but this is just another level. And it's, um, it's it's extremely frustrating when he loses misses out on the playoff by four and he has seven putts inside of six feet that he misses you 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 know bad 500 and you're right there and and even at the rbc heritage you miss four putts inside of uh, inside of six feet in a win so it, it's been a problem in basically every event um since valero at least since valero I mean, he's having a ball striking season that is tantamount to 2015. He's gaining about, oh, what is that? Uh, 1.2 strokes ball striking. And 2015 was a little better. It's like 1.3, but it's not that much better, right? And I think that if you look at the, the course of his career, he's a, he's a weird putter where he'll have these seasons where he looks like Ben Crenshaw and then these seasons where he looks like, you know, Ben Martin. I don't know. Ben Martin's probably a good putter. That's probably not a good He's good comparison. There. Ben Simmons. He looks like Ben Simmons oh, putting. No, too soon. Ben Simmons probably is not a good putter. <laughs> uh, and so I'm I just I refuse to believe that he's a negative putter because he's never been a negative putter over the course of his career. He's had years where he's like right at zero, but he's never been a, a negative putter. And if that's true, then it I keep thinking at some point it's going to bounce back, but it's just, I, I don't know when that point is. We're kind of running out of tournaments for that to happen. If it does, I mean, he's finished second in driving this week. He's, he's become an unbelievable driver of the golf ball. And yeah. He, and he's hitting it really well. And he just, I don't know. Part of it is you're giving strokes away, obviously, but I think some of it is just mentally, it just wears you out. You know, like you're, you're hitting it great and you're working so hard to make par or birdie or whatever. And then you just kick away a four and a half footer and it's just, it's exhausting. I mean, he's an exhausting golfer in general, but that's an even more exhausting way to play than normal. So I don't know. It's a, it's a bummer. Um, but I am encouraged that he's, he's hitting it great. And I'm excited about his summer. I'm still excited about the open championship. Uh, see what he does on, on those greens. Um, so yeah, and excited about next week at Memorial. See what see if he can just have one great putting week and see what happens. So I got I got one other thing on his putting here. I, I think that you know how you said he's a a vol he's a weird putter because he has these some years where it's great and I, I think 
when you look a little deeper, so much of what he gains or loses comes down to what he does from 20 to 25 feet, 15 to 25 feet. And that's a really hard area to stay consistently hot, right? To have them go in like they did in 2015 forever just doesn't happen very often. So if you look at some of his best years, strokes gain wise, um, 2019, he was second. Well, he was, he's 78th from four to eight feet. So there's, um, there, there's a lot of that. A, a lot of those gains are coming from longer range. So is that, a, you, is, that a, is that a speed issue, Greg? No, four to eight feet is a no, line. No, no, no. I'm, no, I'm talking 20 to the 20 to 25 foot range. Like, do you think for him, it's a, it's a, just can't figure out the speed of the greens issue. Well, it does seem like that this year, right? It, it seems like he's had, um, kind of some frustrate, like they're, they're not scaring the hole quite as much, which is, which is speed. Yeah. But when you get into the shorter range, it's a, it's a line issue. So does he have control over his putter face to the same degree? I, I don't know that, that, um, I see a lot of his golf ball bouncing early, bouncing a lot more in those 20 to 25 foot range. Like you taught, you said, you know, Spieth early walking a miss is better than not walking in a make. And that early walk, is, he knows he he hit a yeah, bad putt. Yeah. He's hitting a lot more bad putts this year, bad strokes. But I just, I think it's going to be hard for him to be a consistently good putter when he leans so much on the longer range. So look, you look at his best years on tour. In, in 19, he's second on tour, 78th from four to eight feet. In 15, he was ninth in strokes game putting. He's 114th from four to eight feet. Yeah. The, the guy that's the best maybe ever from 20 to 25 feet is ninth on tour in putting because he struggles in the short range. And that's how you end up looking at the hole. So this is something I think is going to be hard for him to clean up because it's been a struggle through his career. But if he does clean it up, um, you know, you could see a, a really a, a guy that's really hard to beat. And you would think putting from inside of six feet is something that anybody could clean up. I mean, nearly, I mean, Ben Simmons could clean it up. You'd think mm, that's maybe yeah. not. But I think part of the thing for me is, has he become so mechanical in golf in general that it's taken away some of his like feel from 20 to 25 feet, right? We see it in the swing. It's so mechanical. Like just every, he's trying to do like, He's trying to hit 10 different spots on the way back and on the way forward. And, and you just wonder if he, he was, he's such a feel um, type player just across the board that you wonder if some of that has just dissipated as he's gotten older and tried to f- figure things out and everything. I, that's a theory. I have no idea. I don't know if that's true, but that's one thing that's kind of popped into my mind a little bit about it. Do you find, do you find it strange? Cause this is the conundrum. I mean, he's one of the best bunker players I've ever seen. And when he gets in the bunker, he's doing the same routine that he does in the full swing. But then he knocks it stiff. So is the is the feel still there around the green? Maybe it's a sign that that could go away, too. I I think it's an interesting point, Kyle. But um, the bunker the bunker play stands out to me because it, it's so good. But it he has that that same pre-shot routine that appears mechanical. He dropped it this week, though. Oh, um, he, he, he pulled it out a couple of times on Sunday, but for the most part, he yeah. didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot less. And even last week, like it was a lot quicker. The routine was a lot quicker. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, KP, I have promised to get you out of here and I will do just that. My friend, thank you so much for jumping on Kyle Porter can be found at Kyle Porter CBS. Thanks dude. Thanks guys. Don't, don't show my one and done or my uh, best bet this week. Just, just erase them flee now before we have to show it so yeah yeah. uh all right greg let's uh cover one more here because i think there's something interesting going on so i love these little like you know we track these guys from week to week and we try to see everything and figure out what the hell is going on patrick reed let's talk about patrick reed uh because he finished t7 this week i declared him washed i think i would like to retract that statement because he gained across the board this week. He's potentially going with a different manufacturer with the driver. He drove it um, fairly long as well. Like when you start going back and looking at driving distances for the last couple of, of months, Reed lost it all. This this week he was right between Pat Perez and Matias Schwab. That's not very long, but it's like longer than he has been. I'm I'm growing in optimism over P. Reed. 
Um, I am as well, big time. I mean, I, I after the first two rounds, declared him back. <laughs> and I, I think, I really think the reason for that is I liked him coming into the week. I thought the price in on the DFS board was a really good value at 7,400. And there are signs of his swing coming back into form. So when, when you look at that distance loss, that's a sign of, I mean, maybe it's the manufacturer very well could be, but it, to me, it, when you compare it with everything else going on with his game, it's a sign that he lost his swing. I mean, he lost strokes. You, you have this great strokes gain ball striking stat, right? And the unofficial combination of off the tee and approach the green. He lost strokes ball striking in every event from the Olympics last year all the way until the the players. No, the match play. And so if you if you take the match play out and go individual events, stroke play events to Mexico, right? He gained strokes ball striking for the first time in a stroke play event since July of last year at the Wells Fargo. That's a sign of a guy who's struggling with his swing. Distance loss will make you'll struggle with your swing when you don't trust where it's going. Your speed will go down. I'd bet you his club head speed went down too, not just his distance and ball speed. So, but all of a sudden you started to see at around the match play. So after the match play, he gained in three straight events off the tee. He lost strokes at the PGA, gained strokes again this week. So we're on a nice run off the tee of at least improvement. Um, and then at, at the PGA Championship, he gains five strokes approaching the green. So I'm looking at that saying, all right, he's finding something with his swing. Now we come to the Charles Schwab. This should be a good golf course for him. He's had some nice finishes in the past. And we get a, uh, a guy who gains across the board, finishes tied seventh, and probably leaves disappointed. Um, but, but I thought it was a great play this week to be early on Patrick Reed. I thought it was well worth the chance. And it seems to have, have paid off. But, um, but I, the signs that I'm seeing are a guy has, that has um, gotten comfortable with his golf swing. He's making some changes with it for sure. And it was really not going well. He was really struggling. And it seems like he's starting to get the hang of it. Uh, he gets into the category with Ricky Fowler and Webb Simpson, like guys that I will be laser focused on the next couple of weeks, because there's, there's just things brewing. I don't know what direction they're going in, but I need to keep an eye on them. That's like my, my pool of guys to watch for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I would be. Um, I would say of those three, Reed is the uh, the most clear, the guy with the most clear evidence of of success, and probably the best chance to contend in a U.S. Open or a big event like that. Um, I, I think Webb, who's a U.S. Open champion, he he seems to be a little more dependent on the golf course. Ricky, uh, maybe next week's a good week for Ricky, but it yeah. it just it's it's such a it's a letdown. Ricky's a letdown, but I've been watching him for years now. So I'm right there with you, I guess. Let's do our best bets in our one and done update. Uh, we will do that. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. And we're back. Best bets. Ooh, not great. Coach was our winner. Victor Hovland over Will Zalatoris. That was over Friday. Yeah. Uh, I went with Gooch over Finau. Both of them played all right. Finau separated himself on the weekend. In fact, Finau had a great Sunday, which is kind of another yeah. something to keep an eye on there, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Finau played great this Sunday. He, I think he fits in that category with, with Reed Simpson and Fowler. I'd put definitely put Tony Finau in there. Um, but I just feel like I always get Tony wrong and, um, I've been hurt before. But we'll see. I, I think there's really something trendy with him. If if I go and take all the personal um, the personal heartache I felt from from backing Tony Finau out of it, there is absolutely a trend going there, and you'll start to see these finishing positions get back to what we expect. Uh, KP at Colin Morikawa over Scotty Scheffler. That was uh, never good. Scheffler obviously. Oh, yeah, that's, you hate to see that. That's <laughs> yeah, tough. You hate to see. That's the opposite of when you. <laughs> when you pick the guy who wins in a matchup or yeah, I think I had that a couple weeks ago with yeah. Max Homa won. It was like Max Homa over Adam Hadwin. It's like, Oh, Max Homa won the whole thing. So right. Right. Didn't even yeah. That's, that. that's tough. One and done. Also a tough. Little, a little bit of movement. Also tough. Sia Najad gains 98,700. Sia Najad, by the way, 
on the Thursday show, as we were doing the live odds portion, uh, made us scroll all the way down to Sam Burns at 80 to one and was like, I don't know, man, Sam Burns, 80 to one. I think we should bet it right now. Yada, yada, yada. And, uh, the, the screenshots of tickets that I've already seen on Twitter indicate that, that many people took him up on that. Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, it's just, I, I saw a little Twitter, I got involved in a little, um, Twitter thread about it too. It's just, it was a phenomenal call. And it played out, and there's good reason for it. It, it right, it's backed up. I, he's just wishing he played him if one had done. Yes, he did not. He played. Victor probably Hall. doesn't have him. Uh, yeah, probably not at this point. Ninety-eight thousand seven hundred from Victor KP went with Jason Kokrak. Did not defend his title. Seventeen thousand seven twenty-four. Greg, you had Taylor Gooch fifty-six thousand three thirty-two. Uh, it, I mean, this was a a fine week. The right after. The start of this, he bogeyed what his first three holes. He started the week bogey, 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 and I was he was four like six holes or something like that. Yeah, and he fought hard, so I'm happy to get anything out of it. I'm a little disappointed if he got off to a better start. I mean, what three, four, three or four strokes goes a long way in this thing. We finished at what even or somewhere right around par, and so it could have been a big difference. But uh, it's better than a zero, which it very nearly was. Uh, the other notable development about this is that the fans had Taylor Gooch's bud, Max Homa. They got 77000 which is $21,000 more than Gooch, which means, if I'm doing my math correctly, they yeah. passed you, Greg. Yeah, they did. I'm, I'm just ice cold right now. I'm not surprised when anybody passes me. But I, I got I to gotta get it together. That's all I got to say. I got to... I have to get it together. I feel like I'm all around it. Everyone I like is, you know, they're half in, half out. Some of them are great. Some of them really struggle. And in one and done, I keep making the wrong choice. So I'm, it's going to, my luck will turn eventually. I just, it it just feels like it's going to happen too late. Do you know why you're ice cold right now? Why am I ice cold? Because you are the ice of fire. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I need more of the fire, less of the ice. That's right. That's right. A little confused. The one and done selections are a little confused right now. Oh boy. I had Will Zaltoris. He got me exactly zero dollars. Oh. Not good, man. That was that was kind of the most disappointing thing for me. This I mean there were no Harold Varda the third was the most disappointing thing for me this week, but this pre-weekend, uh, it just it was not good. He was horrible on approach. It was it was ugly, man. Ugly. And you know, I mean, next week's probably a great week, probably a great spot for him. Probably wins next week. Right. It just kills you. <laughs> kills you. You hate to see it. I feel for you. Uh, the coach went with Taylor Gooch as well, 56,332. And producer, Jacob. Are you coming in, Jacob? Uh, let me do my math here. Yeah. With $246,540, the winner of the week and... You passed coach, or you were already ahead of him by two thousand. Yeah, I was already ahead of coach. Yeah, so super happy. A little bit further ahead. What a pick! You won the week. Congrats. I mean, the putter feel like it let me down again. Let me down with Cameron Smith last week. Hurt me again this week. I mean, you know, I'm just making the right decisions. Sometimes it just doesn't fall your way. I mean, that's golf. That's the game. That's the beauty of this sport. Jacob's playing well. He's he's trending in the right direction. Yeah, you know, yeah, the Jacob, form is great. The, yeah. the ball striking is off the chart. We're we're yeah. team no putt right now and one and done. So yeah. I mean, Jacob's that converts. Jacob's hitting yeah. everything to twelve feet, and he's giving himself a lot of looks. But he's just got to start making some more putts. Yeah, yeah. he's got a little Tony Fino in him. It just it's been a little better. The finishes have been better than Tony. But you know, I see a parallel there. Hey, I'm going to slide in the DMs with Scott Fawcett and, and Lou Stagner, and we're going to get some things worked out. <laughs> get this all figured out. Yeah. Luckily for all of us, uh, Marky Mark at the top took a big old zero from Abraham mm-hmm. Anson. Now, he still is $3.4 million clear, but we need we need some more zeros in the Mark column. Um, yes, and that was a good pick, too. I really liked I really liked Abraham coming into the week. So I totally understand where he was coming from there. It's just uh, it's exactly what we need. Um, I just wish one of us or, uh, you know, all of us took a little bit better advantage of it. 
Well, I will tell you, Greg, a little spoiler alert. Next week's memorial, I have to choose my words very carefully so that I'm factual here, is the largest non-major regular season purse remaining. Wow. 12 Um, mil. 12 mil. Okay. But we do have two majors left. Yep. We do have FedEx Cup playoffs left. Correct. There could be some movement. I mean, last week really hurt us. It really hurt everybody except Mark, obviously. Um, but this could be a this could be a big move. Twelve's a big that's a big number. And you 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 get a big win heading into a major championship uh, and with two remaining, and it could really turn the tide, like Sam Burns did to Scotty Scheffler in the player of the year race. That that's what we need this week. So we need a big, we need a big, uh, you know, turn of the tide next week. That's I feel I, it. This is the week. Oh, I do not have. Oh God, Mark's gonna play John Rom next week. You ha- you have used work I've used him. Coach has used him. C has used him. Mark has not used John Rom. What about Morikawa? Morikawa. Uh. I know Mark I used Cantlay. Greg has used him. Kyle has oh. used him. Jacob has used him. Coach has used him. The fans have used him. Me and Sia have not. All right. There you go. That's where you and Sia go. Mm-hmm. Would be mm-hmm. my guess. That'd be my guess. Probably. Unless you unless you love him for the Open or the U.S. Open. I wish he was playing a little bit better. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. But look, this could be the turn. Like, I, I'm not, I saw some stuff on Twitter today. Have Hovland and Morikawa lost their win equity? That's the dumbest thing you've ever seen. That's the dumbest tweet ever tweeted. Yeah, I, I know. It, they, no, they are, they define win equity. They've right? won it's, 15% of the tournaments they've played in their careers. <laughs> yeah, this is, and this is what you get with guys that, that play. This is what you get with Team No Putt, right? And not that Hovland's in there, but just, you know, just, Speaking in general terms, this is what you get when guys have a weakness. They need they need that area to get hot, and it does, and it will again. Morikawa so, won 13 starts ago, and then he won 19 starts ago, and then he won like 27 starts ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is not. He is fine. Be patient. Play him next week if you have him. Uh all right, Greg. Well, we will be back next week. Uh, DFS preview Monday, mega preview pod Tuesday, round by round recaps along the way for the memorial presented by Nationwide. Is that right? No, Workday. Presented by Workday. This one's for you, Workday. Remember when Phil did that? Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. That's uh, <laughs> that one has a little more sting now, right? Also, next week is the match number six. Wow. Rodgers and Brady versus... No golfers. uh, Mahomes and Allen. Very interesting. NFC, AFC. Big week of uh, of golf coming up. Yeah. Are you interested in that? Quarterbacks? So I will obviously watch it, but... um, I want, okay, I could talk about this for a while. I want like a, a main event and an undercard. I want like, okay, Bryson versus Brooks, but then like Spieth versus JT and Ricky versus Jason Day and like whatever they put together, like an undercard. Uh, I don't, I, I don't think we're going to get great golf, but I think it could be entertaining. Yeah. It, it's pure entertainment to me, which is fine. I know there'll be people interested in it. But it's not, it's not for me. I mean, I love watching these guys. Watching Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes play in a playoff game last year, and they just can't, they they can't miss. That that's exciting to me. Watching Rodgers and and Brady when they're humming, there's few things better. Um, but we're not going to see that on the golf course. And I just find that the trash talking that we get in this stuff is very forced, very forced. Because there, there's a line where you can't, you can't cross the lines you'd cross if there were no cameras on you, and and you know in locker room talk it goes, and, and so they they can't go there, but they got to go somewhere, and it just, it's just forced to me. I'd rather watch great play, great golfers play great golf. That's just me. 
Well, good thing for us. We'll get both of those things next week. We'll get quarterbacks and great golfers playing great golf. So we are in for an awesome week. But for now, let me thank producer Jacob does all the hard work behind the scenes. Greg Ducharme is available on Twitter at the real GFD. And you can find me at Rick run. Good. This has been the first cut. We'll catch you next time. 